الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونتوب إليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمد عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وأحسن الحديث هج محمد وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار The words which I have just recited is a part of a speech which is known as Khutbah al-Hajjah in which the Prophet ﷺ would begin his addresses and his talks to his companions, whether on the Jum'ah member or whether in his other gatherings with them. And its meaning is, all praise belongs to Allah. We praise Him and we seek His aid and we seek His forgiveness. And we seek refuge from, with Allah from the evil of our own souls and the bad consequences of our actions, the evil consequences of our actions. Whomever Allah guides, none can set astray. And whoever Allah sets astray, none can guide. And I testify that there is none worthy of worship except for Allah. Alone he has no partner. And I testify that Muhammad وسلم, is his slave and his messenger. To proceed, verily the most truthful of speech is the book of Allah, meaning the Quran. And the best of guidance is the guidance of the Prophet Muhammad And every innovation is an error And every error leads to the hellfire It was from the Prophet's guidance وسلم, As mentioned in a hadith Among which is Sahih al-Bukhari That he used to make a specific day of the week To teach the sisters To teach the Muslim companions in Medina uh, During his time Likewise, it was from his guidance, which is now unfortunately forsaken by the Muslims in general, that after Eid Khutbah, after delivering the general Khutbah, he would go to the area which the women were praying, and he would stand there and he would give them their own specific speech. So to give a speech, a religious talk, to uh, Muslim women in particular, in order to answer their questions and to seek their needs, uh, to uh, to aid them in their needs and their religious questions is from the guidance of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, which unfortunately many Muslims have forsaken as they have forsaken his other uh, guidances and his other practical uh, uh, affairs the talk which I have been asked to deliver to uh, uh, my sisters is concerning the uh, Muslim woman in face of falling into disobedience and the challenges which face her today. I have divided my lecture into four uh, points which I've discussed briefly because I feel always that in these gatherings uh, to give an opportunity for the listeners to ask their questions usually is more beneficial than for somebody just to talk and not to let people ask their questions. The first thing is we should understand that in religious obligations in general we might say that women and men are equal. The Prophet ﷺ has said, That verily women are the other half of men. And likewise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, 
in a verse in his book, uh, the translation of it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, من عمل صالحا من ذكر أو أنثى وهو مؤمن فلنحينه حياة طيبة فزينهم أجرهم بأحسن ما كانوا يعملون Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in a verse in Surah Al-Nahl verse 797 Whoever works righteousness whether male or female while he or she is a true believer verily to him we will give a good life in this world and we shall pay them certainly a reward in proportion to the best of what they used to do meaning Allah will give them paradise and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it is not for a believer male or female وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنًا وَلَا لِمُؤْمِنَةً إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَمْرًا أَنْ يَكُونُ لَهُمْ الْخِيرَةُ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ وَمَنْ يَعْسِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولُهُ فَقَدْ ضَلَّ ضَلَالًا مُبِينًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it is not for a believer male or female if Allah and His Messenger declare a matter that they have any choice in that matter but whoever disobeys Allah and His Messenger he has gone far astray these two verses with the hadith which I mentioned earlier that the Prophet ﷺ said that women are half of men brings me to the first point of my talk and that is women have the same obligation upon them as do men in worship and obedience to Allah and His Messenger and therefore it is required for every lady, every female in the human race to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and to obey Allah and His Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Allah says in the first verse which I recited that whoever does a righteous deed whether male or female and is a believer so here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions two qualities righteous deeds and being a believer a righteous deed as I mentioned in the Jum'ah khutbah is a deed that has two qualities to it the first quality that is done only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَمَنْ كَانَ هِجْرَتُهُ لِدُنْيَا يُصِيبُهَا أَوْ إِمْرَأَةً يَنْكَحُهَا فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِ The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in a hadith reported by Bukhari and others that verily deeds are for those who they are intended to and that whoever uh, and deeds by whom they are intended for so whoever makes hijrah to Allah and His Messenger his hijrah is to Allah and His Messenger and whoever makes hijrah to gain some worldly benefit or to marry a woman his hijrah will be for that or for what he's gone for this hadith shows the basis of the first condition of a righteous action meaning that it must done, be done for Allah alone one must not do a righteous action to gain the rights of the people or for any worldly motivation so that it may be said that this person is a righteous person or that he's a knowledgeable person or that he is a good person for this praise destroys the action but rather a, month, a person must do a deed uh, for any reason it must be done only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it must be done having the three pillars of worship it must be done for the sake of loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for fear of Allah's wrath and punishment if one does not do that deed and also for hope of Allah's mercy by doing that deed and his reward hope for his reward and likewise the second condition of a good deed is that this good deed must be done for according to the sunnah according to the sharia according to the religion 
which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with. One cannot do acts of worship in the manner which he is used to, according to the customs of his people, or the way he was taught, but rather one must be certain that those deeds correspond to the way of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. To this we have the hadith reported by Aisha radiallahu anha, who says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَنْ أَحْدَثَ فِي أَمْرِنَا هَذَا مَا لَيْسَ مِنْهُ فَهُوَ رَجْءٌ That the Prophet said, Whoever adds into this affair of ours that which is not from it, it will be rejected. It will be rejected. This shows that acts of worship must be in accordance with what Allah and His Messenger has brought. So Allah says in this verse, Whoever does a righteous deed, and we now know what the righteous deed is, it is whatever Allah or His Messenger has commanded, obligated, or recommended. And it's the deed that is done only for Allah in accordance to the Sharia of the Prophet Muhammad And is a believer. He has the second quality. The second quality is that he is a believer. He or she is a believer. A believer, of course, is the one who has those six pillars of faith. Faith in Allah and His angels, in His books, in his messengers, in the last day, and faith in Qadr, the good and evil consequences thereof. And inshallah there will be a lecture tomorrow when I'll explain these pillars of faith in a little bit more detail. But the important point here to know is that one must have faith in his heart. And faith is not as many people imagine, just to recognize that Allah exists, or just to recognize that the Prophet Muhammad wasallam was sent. This is not faith, but faith is much deeper than that. And faith has more than 73 branches, as the Prophet Muhammad said. And faith is the characteristic which people will be judged by on the Day of Judgment. Those who have faith will make it to paradise. And those who do not have faith will not make it to paradise. Now somebody might ask, how will we gain faith? We gain faith through learning about faith, through learning knowledge. As the, one of the Prophet's companions said, تَعَلَّمْنَا الْإِيمَانِ we learnt Iman and then we learnt the Quran so we increased in faith so here the Prophet's companion said they, were, they learnt Iman they learnt how to believe in Allah they learnt how to believe in the Prophet Muhammad they learnt how to believe in Qadr they had to learn these things and then they learnt the Quran they learnt the verses of Allah and they memorized these verses and they act upon it so then their faith increased. So Iman has to be learnt. One has to study Iman. One has to study these six pillars of faith. And he must study it from those people who are knowledgeable of them. So he has a correct faith and not an incorrect faith. And as I said, this will, I will discuss this in greater detail, inshallah ta'ala, uh, tomorrow. However, though, going to this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا مِنْ ذَكَرٍ أَوْ أُنثَى وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٍ so whoever does a good deed and is a believer, whether male or female, what is the reward for this? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make them live a happy life. That's for this world. In this world, he will be upon the guided path. He will be on the straight path, he or she. And likewise, in the hereafter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he will reward them with the best of what they used to do. So Allah's this explanation of this part of the verse has been mentioned in the books of Tafsir that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grade the believers by their best prayer. For instance, we might in our lifetime pray Allah knows how many thousands of times. The standard which we will be re rewarded by is the best prayer we did. 
And likewise, we will fast how many days in our lifetime? Only Allah knows. And then we will be rewarded for the best day of fasting. And likewise, for our charity, for the best charity we gave. And likewise, for our hajj. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us the reward for the best of those deeds. This is out of Allah's great mercy and Allah's great um, kindness to His creation. That He chooses to reward them by the best of their deeds and not by other deeds. Now, here, of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions whoever does this of male or female. This brings me back to my first point that in terms of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and obedience of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa male and females are equal. Male and females are equal. And likewise, the other verse which I mentioned where the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that it's not for a believer, male or female. Male or female. If Allah or His Messenger decrees something, then they have a choice in that matter. And whoever disobeys Allah and His Messenger, meaning male or female, he has gone far astray. And therefore, this brings me to the second point of my talk, that since Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has obligated upon both the male and the female to worship him alone and to obey his messenger then therefore it is also obligated upon male and females to have knowledge of the sharia to have correct religious knowledge and this is the most important duty for males and females and particularly for the females the Muslim sisters she has a great uh, example in the women of the Ansar Aisha radiallahu anha has said in a hadith which is mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari. She said, how fine are the women of the Ansar? Their shyness did not prevent them from seeking knowledge. Their shyness did not prevent them from seeking knowledge. So the women of the Ansar, Aisha radiallahu anha, who's saying, she's the Prophet's wife, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and she is one of the most knowledgeable of all the companions, male and females. She is praising the women of the Ansar, who even though they were women, and it is from their fitrah, from their nature, that Allah has created women to be shy, and sometimes they are uh, shy to approach men and ask them questions. However, the women of the Ansar, they were so in, uh, um, so in need and so much desiring to know good Islamic knowledge, that this shyness did not prevent them from learning their knowledge from the Prophet Muhammad They wouldn't feel afraid to ask him. They wouldn't feel afraid to see what is re- obligatory upon them. And therefore, this brings me to the second point, as I said, that it's upon the Muslim sister to be educated in her religion. She cannot be ignorant of her religion, as most Muslim women are, unfortunately, and also most Muslim men, unfortunately, are like that, but especially Muslim women. Most Muslim women don't know much about the religion, and they just ask their husbands, how do I do this, how do I do that, and they don't uh, know, and they are just uh, guarded, and nobody spends time to teach them, and so forth. Even though their role is a very important role. Because the mother, she is the one who is going to be taking care of the children. And she is the one who is going to be preparing future generations. And there is no harm that there are Muslim women scholars. In the time of the previous Muslims, it was very common that uh, Muslim scholars would study with Muslim female scholars. Now, of course, when they would study with Muslim female scholars, they wouldn't have intermixing and so forth as uh, people study in universities and classrooms in the United States. They would observe the proper Islamic behavior and there would be a hijab. But they would come and they would ask women and these women who were knowledgeable would teach them. The first example, of course, is Aisha radiallahu anha. 
you'll find many hadith if you investigate the books of hadith where you'll find that companions of the Prophet and likewise from the second generation from the tabi'in men would come and knock on her door and she would be behind the curtain and they would ask her what did the Prophet used to do in his house how would have you heard of the messenger of Allah doing and so forth and so on and in fact Aisha radiallahu anha because of her great knowledge of the sharia many times she corrects the she would correct the Sahaba who maybe gave an opinion unaware of the practice of the Prophet Muhammad and she would then correct them saying that the Prophet practice, his sunnah, was such and such. And a great scholar known as Zirkashi has authored a book concerning those matters in which Aisha corrected the other companions. He authored a whole book, a whole volume concerning this. And this book is printed and well uh, known by the scholars. So therefore, this shows us that women must have Islamic knowledge. They cannot be ignorant of their religion. Especially concerning matters which deal with them in particular. Without doubt, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created male and female. And He has given each of the two sexes certain qualities. And women have certain qualities which they are responsible to know the religious injunctions concerning that. Like concerning the rules of hail, of menstruation. Concerning the rules of uh, nifas, which is the uh, bleeding after childbirth, concerning the rules of hijab, concerning the rules of raising their children, concerning these uh, obligations that they have, which are particular for them, every woman must know what Allah and what His Messenger وسلم, has commanded her concerning these matters in particular. And also she must know the general matters of Islam in which she is joins her uh, her male brothers in doing, like in prayer, like in fasting, like in tawheed, in belief, and so forth and so on. The third matter, which I will discuss now, and this is coming from those matters which are particular for dealing with the uh, sisters in her particular fiqh, is that it's very important that women have to know the rights of her husband the rights of her husband. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, uh, in a hadith reported by Abu Huraira and collected by Ibn Hibban, that the Prophet ﷺ said concerning the women, إِذَا صَلَّتَ الْمَرْأَةُ خَمْسَهَا وَصَامَتْ شَهْرَهَا وَحَصَنَتْ فَرْجَهَا وَأَطَاعَتْ زَوْجَهَا قِيلَ لَهَا إِدْخِلِ الْجَنَّةَ مِنْ أَيِّ أَبْوَابِ الْجَنَّةِ شِئْتْ The Prophet ﷺ has said in a very clear hadith that any woman who prays her five prayers and fasts her months, meaning the month of Ramadan, and protects her private parts in the sense that she does not engage in illicit sex, and obeys her husband is the fourth quality. It will be said to her on the Day of Judgment, enter into paradise from any door you wish. Enter into paradise from any door you wish. But four qualities must be met. What are those four qualities? That the she must do her five prayers, and of course, in order for her prayers to be accepted, she must have correct faith in Allah, because no deed is accepted unless there is correct faith in Allah and His Messenger, And also, she fasts the month of Ramadan, and also, she protects herself from falling into illicit sex, and she obeys her husband. Now, somebody might ask, why isn't it that the Prophet mentioned the Hajj and the uh, Zakat in this Hadith? And that is because, Allahu alam, that because sometimes it might be a situation where the woman might not be having some sort of business and so forth to make hajj or to give zakah. And she's dependent upon her husband 
for him to, if he has money, to take her upon Hajj. And also, if she has money, she's not responsible to give zakah. But of the five pillars of Islam, which she's responsible for, whether she has money of her own or not, is of course the prayer and the fasting. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ singled out these two matters from the other four in this hadith. And she protected herself from illicit sex. And that is because the cause of, one of the major causes of destructions of society is illicit sex. And illicit sex cannot occur unless both partners agree. And of the two partners, it is the woman who is more, uh, if she doesn't agree, it is more uh, likely that it will not occur unless the man overcomes her and rapes her. So, therefore, it's only when the woman agrees to this can this thing really occur. And this is why this third characteristic has been mentioned, that she protects herself from falling into illicit sex. And the fourth matter is that she obeys her husband. Islam has come with a system which everything is placed in its proper place. And unfortunately, now in the world, people no longer know the rights of one another. Children don't know the rights of their parents. Children don't know the rights of their parents. It is very common to see amongst Muslims, and of course, with non-Muslims, it's the general rule, that a child will be disobedient to his father and his mother. The father or mother will say, oh son, pray or do this, and the child could care less. And says, get out of my face. I want to do whatever I want to do. And likewise, people do not know the rights of their neighbors. It is very common that to find that people will harm their neighbors by either having, uh, making a lot of noise or doing anything which will harm their neighbors. And likewise, people do not know the rights of the older people in the community. The Prophet ﷺ said, he who does not respect the older person in the community and shows mercy to the young of us is not from us. So people no longer care for the elderly. And likewise, the young people do not care for the young. And likewise, one of the signs of the approach of the Day of Judgment is that likewise, women no longer know the rights of their husband. And there is no shame to say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created male and females and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obligatory, made obligatory upon women to obey their husband. Because at the same time, the same uh, commandment which has come for women to be obedient to their husband also a commandment has come for men to be kind to women and to deal kindly with their wives. Allah in the Quran says, And live with them in ma'roof. Ma'roof is a word which means anything which is good, whether it's known by the sharia or known by reason, just by common sense. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ordering men here to live with their wives in ma'roof, which means to live with them well whether these good things are mentioned in the Sharia specifically or it's known by common sense. And likewise, the Prophet ﷺ said in his farewell khutbah in Hajj, in Hajjat al-Wida'ah, he said, he said, the best of you is the best of you in character. And also he said, I am the best of you in character. And he said in another hadith, he said that the best of you is those who are best to his women, those who are best to his women. And the Prophet ﷺ said on his deathbed, he said, as-salam, he reminded the Ummah with two matters As-Salah with prayer And that which your hand possesses Meaning those people who are underneath your charge Among which would be your wives So here the commandment Which has come to the men To take care of their wives And those who they are in charge from From their women folk Is just like the same commandments Which have come for the women To have that reciprocal behavior And to obey their husbands Unfortunately, and may Allah protect us from this and make our character better, he has, unfortunately now we find the Muslims, neither of them take care of the obligations that they have towards their women, 
nor do the women receive them, therefore, with obligation uh, which they demand, uh, which belongs to their husbands. And this is very natural, because obviously if the husband is not going to do his uh, rights to his wife, how can he expect then his wife to give the rights back to him? So, therefore, the third matter is that the woman has to make sure that she upkeeps the rights of her husband, even if her husband is... Uh, not fulfilling his right because she is not seeking the reward of her husband she is seeking the reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as this hadith says that any woman prays her five prayers and fasts the month of Ramadan and, obey, and protects herself from falling to illicit sex and obeys her husband uh, she will be set in the day of judgment to enter paradise from any door of paradise uh, she wishes and this comes now to the fourth and uh, matter which I'd like to talk about is that as she has an obligation to her husband, she also has an obligation to the children which has come from their union, from their marriage. And this obligation to her children is that she is the first uh, teacher to the children. She is the one who is going to raise the children. The children will learn from her first Quran and they'll learn first from her how to pray. And if the woman in the household is ignorant of her religion or negligent of her religion then therefore the children will usually come out <coughs> negligent of their religion and usually will come out ignorant of their religion so it is very important that she has to take care of her children which has come from this because she is responsible the Prophet ﷺ has said in a hadith every one of you has a responsibility and he mentioned in this hadith that the woman is responsible for her household for her household, meaning everything that goes on there, in terms of the money, how it's spent, in terms of the children, and so forth and so on. So this shows that the responsibility will fall upon her, and she'll be asked on the Day of Judgment how she dealt with her children, and how she dealt with her husband's household. And likewise, the woman also, because she's a member of this ummah, she has a responsibility to the general ummah as a whole, in the sense that there are certain things which the Muslims are in need of having Muslim uh, women qualified in, like in medicine, like in education, and so forth and so on. However, though, her obtaining these fine qualities, like becoming a doctor or becoming a teacher, and so forth and so on, cannot be in the sense that she does this and then she neglects that which is required upon her. Because all of these uh, fields, whether for male or female, medicine, science, uh, teaching and so forth and so on they are what is from known what is known from al-furuz al-kafaya they are from those obligations which fall upon the Muslims as a whole if some will stand up upon it no longer becomes obligatory upon the others but there are certain uh, things which are obligatory on every single Muslim whether male or female so it makes no sense for instance for a woman or for a man for that matter to seek this uh, and matters which are not obligatory upon them specifically but obligatory upon the Muslims as a whole and then at the same time be neglectful for that which is obligatory upon them individually this is turning things backwards for, and I'll give you an example if a lady wants to be a doctor this is something which is uh, a very fine a very fine uh, thing because we need Muslim doctors who are women uh, Muslim women become sick just like Muslim women become sick. This is something that Allah has decreed upon this ummah, that people become sick. And it's better for us to send a sick Muslim woman to a Muslim doctor, female doctor, than to send her to a Kafir female doctor. However, though, in her seeking medicine, this degree of medicine, if she has to then forsake wearing the hijab and to give up her prayers and to intermingling with men in the classroom, 
and neglecting all which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has obligated upon her in order to seek this responsibility, then therefore she hasn't done any benefit to herself. But rather she's harmed herself in seeking something which is just an obligation not of the same degree as uh, the first obligation. So therefore I must quite frankly say that it is very important for Muslim women to seek uh, uh, an education and to better themselves. However, though, their seeking of an education and their bettering themselves should not result in them falling into greater uh, acts of disobedience. Falling into greater acts of disobedience. There is no benefit to have uh, Muslim women doctors who don't wear hijab. There is no benefit to have Muslim women teachers who do not know Allah or the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rather, the harm that comes from this can be greater. And likewise, for women seeking careers, if it results a woman to seek a career after her education, that she will then prevent herself from getting married, that she will not raise children, and that she will not settle down, or she'll have very few children because of the demands of her career, or will not be able to raise her children properly and will have to leave children with babysitters and so forth, or bring a maid and so forth, and the house will take care of the children because she's following her career, then likewise she has forsaken one of the major obligations upon herself in lieu of something which is, even if it's obligated upon her, it is not of the same degree of obligation. But it's rather obligation upon the community of Muslims as a whole. So, in general, these were the four uh, matters which I wanted to discuss. And I finally have a fifth matter which I neglected to mention, is that right now, uh, as the Muslims are being, they're facing a lot of um, what is known as an intellectual uh, war concerning uh, Muslims' beliefs and practices. And one of the targets of this intellectual warfare is concerning the role of women in Islam. And it's very important for Muslim women to have a good idea exactly of what is the status and what is the obligations of Muslim women in Islam. But they should not have an idea which is apologetic or which is an incorrect idea. Rather, what they should form their ideas and their beliefs directly from the Quran and the Sunnah and from the example of the Prophet's female companions and the Prophet's wives, uh, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, uh, to, uh, uh, to try to apologize for the status of women in Islam and to try to uh, uh, say things which are not from the Sharia in order to, because one feels inferior and feels that somehow there's some sort of wrong, this can lead to disbelief. Because we believe and we are certain that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-Hakim, that Allah is al-Hakim, the most wise. So everything that Allah creates or anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obligates is for a wisdom. Whether we realize that wisdom or not, we are certain there's a wisdom there. And perhaps even if we are ignorant of that wisdom, then the knowledgeable amongst the Muslims and scholars, they will be able to expound upon those wisdoms uh, concerning that matter. But the important point is that one should be very firm in sticking to the Quran and the Sunnah and not feel ashamed of Islam and therefore lose their Islamic identity. And this is because of the influence of the disbelievers amongst them. Uh, however, though, if they were in their Islamic lands, because most of the people who come are coming for economic reasons. I mean, this is the majority of the motivation is. is for economic reasons and better. So while it is true, without doubt, I have no doubt in my mind that the situation in the lands of the disbelievers in terms of its uh, opportunities and in terms of the ease of life is no comparison with the Muslims who have the oppression and the backwardness and so forth in their uh, countries. However, I do not think it is a wise choice that we uh, choose the ease and the comfort and the opportunities of this life and in the end we pay that with our religion or with the religion of our children. What kind of bargain is that? Uh, obviously a wise man would not make that bargain. 
So I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us and he gives us the means that we leave the land of the disbelievers. Coming to his brother. Talk about settling in the land, or like for, for most of us here, come for three or four years to get a degree and go back. Alhamdulillah. If it's coming for three or four years to come, then may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speed your return. May speed your return. But unfortunately, I mean, there are those who come and settle, and they end up being buried amongst these, these disbelievers. This is, this is a reality we have to face. So, um, you know, that's the issue in itself. And there are many uh, books concerning that. And perhaps I will send some to uh, the brothers here. They can then photocopy and uh, distribute amongst them. Um, how can a Muslim woman... This is a very good question. Um, okay, there's two questions over here. Uh, I'm going to answer the second question first because it's more close to the question I just answered. What if America is the home of your family and the rest of your family is not Muslim? Uh, if, since I guess the questioner is a sister, in this case, that, you know, if she is married to a Muslim man, and then that Muslim man should, you know what I'm saying, as part of his obligation to her, take her from the lands of the disbelievers and go to the lands of the Muslim. But obviously, if a person, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, that those people who are weak and unable to uh, uh, leave the lands of the disbelievers, then they are those who have an excuse with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if a sister or a brother uh, happens to be born in the United States and raised here, and his family, whether his family is Muslim or non-Muslim for that matter, and he's unable to find the means to uh, leave the lands of disbelievers, uh, because the way the world is now, he doesn't have a country overseas which will accept him, or he doesn't have the financial means and so forth, then inshallah he should fear Allah to the best of his ability. Uh, the, the, the harm upon him is not as the harm upon those who out of willingness forsake the lands of the Muslims to come to the lands of believers. Uh, these two have to be distinguished. Uh, now it says, how can a woman uh, raise her, a question is in Arabic, how can she raise her child a correct Islamic uh, education uh, after they have reached the age of puberty? If a person wants to raise their children after they have reached the age of puberty, then they have already uh, missed the chance. Uh, you know, one time a, a man came to one of the uh, early generations of the Muslims and he said, I have a newborn child. What should I do? And the companion or the tabari said, Now you're asking? You have already let that time pass. And that's why the Prophet said in a hadith, he said, uh, Choose for your sperm, meaning choose the best wife for your sperm, in the sense that for your child it's going to come out of uh, your uh, sperm. So the time to consider for the education of the child begins even before the birth of the child. First, by the parents educating themselves and living according to the laws of Allah and the laws of His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa That's the first thing it starts. Then when the child is born, the child has a right upon the parents that they uh, name him with a correct Islamic name, that they do uh, aqiqah for him is one of the rights, that they say the adhan in one ear and the aqal in the other ear. This is from the rights of the child. And likewise, that they have from the rights of the child is that they teach him to pray before he reaches the age of puberty when prayer becomes obligatory upon him. The Prophet ﷺ said, teach your children to pray at the age of seven and beat them at the age of ten. And beat them upon the prayer at the age of ten. Even though most children, even at the age of ten, haven't reached the age of puberty. You see, most people, when they age of puberty, especially for boys, maybe at 13 or 14, you see. But here the Prophet ﷺ, so one has to educate them before that. And concerning the fast, it was part, the practice of the people of Medina, of the Ansar, 
uh, during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, that they used to teach their children, even when they were babies, to fast. That they would not give them food, they would not give them food, and that if they would get hungry, they would then give them some sort of toy to play with, just to get them to get the practice of uh, eating. And likewise for, for women to wear the hijab. Obviously, if uh, a person is not going to encourage his daughter, to, uh, mother or father, to wear uh, the hijab when she's, uh, at least sometimes, when she's 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, how do they expect when she first reaches the age of puberty and she first starts menstruating that the next morning she's going to wear the hijab? If she never had that practice of wearing the hijab before, and all she knows is wearing slacks, and short dresses and so forth. Yes, it's not obligatory upon her to wear the hijab without doubt, but you cannot expect that all of a sudden they would then want to uh, adhere to the Islamic um, uh, teachings concerning dress. And likewise, if a child is not taught uh, at an early age that you know that men and women shouldn't mix, then it's going to be very difficult when they reach the age of uh, 10 or 11, and then you can say to her, well, you can no longer play with that boy next door, your neighbor because you have now reached the age of puberty. Or for the boy, you have now reached the age of puberty, you cannot mix with the girls. If he's from his whole uh, childhood, he was never taught that, it becomes almost impossible for them to accept that. And then they become rebellious to that. They don't understand the wisdom. So it is important that one starts early with them. However, though, if somebody has not started earlier, then one must not let any time uh, pass them by. And the best way for parents to teach their children is by setting a good example. Children will imitate their parents. If their parents are good Muslims, children will like to be good Muslims. But if the children are poor Muslims, children will want to be... If the parents are poor Muslims, children will want to be poor Muslims. And Allah knows best. What about uh, work of women in Islam? Uh, yes, what about work of women in Islam? As I mentioned before, uh, there are some things which are obligatory upon the Muslims as a whole. This is known as al-furud al-kafayat. These are obligations which fall upon the Muslim community as a whole. That as long as some Muslims do it, the sin falls upon, uh, it does not fall upon anybody. But if no Muslims fulfill this obligation, then the sin falls upon the whole community. Some things it is encouraged that we have uh, women to work in, like teaching women, for, uh, uh, to have women uh, teachers for uh, girls and so forth. It's much better than to have men teachers. And likewise, to have uh, women doctors and so forth. There are certain fields. So in these matters, it is permissible for women to work in that. But as I mentioned before, provided, provided that this doesn't result in them doing something haram to obtain this work. Okay, let me give you an example. If a woman wants to be a teacher, this is something which is noble. But if she's a teacher, for instance, in a mixed school, where the other teachers are also male teachers there, and so therefore she sits with them in a room uh, with male teachers, and they have, uh, you know, conferences. Uh, they have parent-teacher association meetings, and the husband, uh, uh, the father of a child uh, in her classroom will come to her and come to her and shake her hand and wants to know about how her, his kid is doing in school and so forth and so on, this doesn't become permissible. If it becomes that she's a doctor in a hospital, she's treating male patients. She cannot just choose to treat female patients alone. Then her, her medical work here is not permissible also. Unless, unless there is no other person with her specialty, then it's permissible for a male to see uh, a female doctor. But if there is other male doctors who have the ability to treat a male patient, then it's impermissible for a female patient to uh, treat a male patient, and a male patient has to disrobe himself, or they have to be in a room privately together, and so forth and so on. So the point is, is that work of women in Islam is permissible. However, as everything in Islam is, 
one cannot engage in any activity if that activity is going to lead that person to engage in forbidden activities. And it might seem very strange for us. We can say, well, how can we have a hospital which is separate? How can we have a school which is separate? This is because this is how the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the Muslims. And when the Muslims were negligent with Allah's commandments and uh, with the commandments of the Prophet their societies changed. And their societies are now modeled upon the societies of the disbelievers. The disbelievers find no shame in mixing between male and female. And likewise, they find no shame in male and females having sex outside of marriage. There's no shame for them if a, if a man is married and he has sex with his uh, co-worker at work. This is considered something which is part of society. And so therefore, when the Muslim societies overseas forgot the teachings of Allah and the Messenger and they modeled their societies over the societies of the disbelievers, they came with the same problems. And that's why we cannot now imagine how could we have a school uh, which would be separate, or a hospital which is separate, how can we have a university which is separate, and so forth and so on. Uh, the final question, uh, because I understand this time to be uh, end, is that why is it proper uh, for uh, men uh, to put on nice cologne and smell nice as opposed to women? Uh, men are allowed to uh, smell nice because this is something which they are allowed to engage with because they are uh, allowed to go out in the world and mingle and so forth. Uh, women are supposed to be, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, to stay into your houses and do not come forth. Uh, the coming forth of a jahiliyyah, of the jahiliyyah period, where women would go out and come and so forth as they wish. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and stick to your homes and do not come out forward the coming forward of jahiliyyah, going out of your homes and so forth. So the, the, um, the initial way of women is that they stay in their homes, they only go out only for their needs, only for their needs, like to the marketplace, to the doctor, to the mosque, and so forth and so on. Their activity outside of the house is limited, and most of their activity would be inside the house. But for men, it's the opposite. Men are the, the world, they have to take care of the affairs of the world, and so forth, and therefore they are allowed to wear uh, the cologne. And likewise, there's supposed to be no intermixing between men and women. So if men are wearing nice cologne and so forth, they're not going to be sitting with women and so forth, causing a phenomenon. But this is between men, between themselves. Just like there's no harm for women to wear perfume amongst themselves. The, it becomes forbidden when she takes it in public, and then the men can smell her and so forth, as the hadith of the Prophet has said. And as I mentioned earlier, the uh, topic of women is a very long and uh, large topic and really cannot be discussed in such a small talk. So I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, reward us all. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Shadu an la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfiruhu wa atubu ilayk. Assalamualaikum ala Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Jazallah khair.